Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Hi, my name is Kim Madume, and I've been coming to Slate Church since January 2019. I feel like, okay, so I grew up born and raised kind of thing in a, in a Christian household, and we were always taught, you know, love Jesus and share the gospel and things like that, but I feel like I never got to take that on as my own until second year. Um, so once I started this like prayer warriors group in my residence and like started bringing in people and community with me, that's when I think God really kicked off things in my life. And I feel like since then I've been just like so on fire for him and like wanted other people to just like experience that as well too in my community. And it's been really cool to see what God's done in their life too through that. I love people so much and I love seeing them come into relationship with Jesus. I feel like those moments where you see people realize the fullness and the trueness of God and who he is and who Jesus is and what he did for them and dying on the cross for their sins and what that means for their life, you can't help but want more of it and to see more of it. So I think in seeing that happen in like people who are um, living beside me and rubbing shoulders with me in residence and like people who are also going to church with me and seeing how God's like taken their faith to the next level and excelled, um, you know, them in their relationship with him. I think that's just like inspired me to want to see more of that and to want to like walk through life with people and to help them to like grow to the fullness of their potential in their relationship with Christ. Um, so I think it's been really cool to like help to grow leaders. Um, it's been really cool to help see friendships grow and like um, relationships mend and like people excel in like their jobs and like help to bring people in their communities into um, our community as well too. And we've seen that a lot through locals. I love locals, biggest fan of them. And it's been really cool to see like even like some people who are super new to their faith um, help people who have been like in their faith for a while, with just like a little comment, a word of encouragement, and like vice versa as well too. So that's been super encouraging for me. I would encourage other people to live out the Great Commission by just praying that prayer of send me God. Um, I feel like when you just take those next steps to like to make your faith your own, that means like walking it out with people, doing life with, doing life with people, and not becoming complacent and not letting yourself become complacent. And I think with that, it, it takes intentionality. Um, it takes community. That's like been the biggest way that I've grown and even in my discipleship with other people, but myself, because that whole idea of like iron sharpening iron, um, I feel like that's been like really evident in my life as well too. And like the only way that I've been able to like evangelize and like, I wouldn't even know that that was the word <laughs> to call it really. Cause I just thought I was doing life with people and like getting to know people, build relationships, build that rapport with people and then um, getting to help them also like excel too. So I think um, it'd be community and then intentionality were like the two biggest things I think. I, my, one of my coworkers when I was working this one job said this to me. She said, never let anybody tell you that you're too young. And that is a verse in the Bible, but she was saying to you, just bring your little lunch that you have. Like that story when God uh, multiplied the fish and the bread, it's like, just give him your little lunch. So every time I do anything, when it comes to serving in any capacity, whether that's local leadership or worship leadership, I'm always just trying to give him my little lunch and see what he does and like multiplying it. So, yeah.
one else is coming. All right, well, here we are in our new series, No One Else is Coming. It's uh, good to have you. My name is Brandon, and I'm the lead pastor here along with my wife, Emma. And uh, it's just so good to have you. And uh, if you're here for the first time, we just want to welcome you. Can we welcome everybody who's here for the first time? Yeah. Um, You're going to get a bit more of an idea of what no one else is coming as we go through this series. I just want to break it down to us in case uh, you're a little confused and you're wondering, okay, why did we call a series that we hope everybody comes to, no one else is coming? And uh, really what we're getting at in this series is just this idea that everything that we're expecting of God and everything that we're wanting to see God do in this world, he's actually commissioned us to do, right? Like we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And for some of us, we're just waiting on God to move. And uh, in, in many ways, he's just waiting for us to move. Like, hey, I've already equipped you. I've already given you all that you need. Just move and do something with what I've called you to do. And, uh, you know, I wanted to get right into the heart of this message or the heart of the series with this message and just start like um, encouraging us to go out and and to uh, reach the lost, and, and to proclaim the goodness of God, and all the rest. And then uh, I just took a step back this past week, and I'm like, to what end? To what end are we to uh, do all of these activities? To what end are we to uh, expend all of this energy, and all this resource, and all this time? And to what end should we have this focus? And so this morning, um, we're going to talk about a little bit of a different aspect of no one else is coming. And I want to talk to us out of the book of Luke, uh, uh, the book of Luke, we're going to find ourselves in Luke chapter 7, and in Luke chapter 7, we get a story of a guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist is known as the guy who came to prepare a way for Jesus. He is the, uh, the second Elijah, if you will, if you're familiar with scripture, and he is Jesus' cousin. Jesus' cousin was sent um, um, uh, with the purpose of preparing a way for Jesus to tell people to get ready because Jesus is coming. And John spent his entire life to this end. Like John's sole purpose for being alive, and he took this upon himself, was to proclaim the goodness of God and to proclaim that one even greater than him was on his way, who was Jesus, who would save the world. So he has spent, up until this moment of us reading this passage, he has spent his entire life telling people this, all right? He's he's like, He's like, listen, this is, this is my life's work. My life's work has been to make Jesus known. Well, John finds himself in a precarious position because John has a conviction deep inside of himself to not allow people to live in opposition to God's will. So not only does he tell people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, but he actually finds himself in the king's palace and the king's kind of like, hey, what do you think of my life? And he's like, you know what? I think your life is actually kind of sucks. And here's why. And he tells them about what he's doing and, and some of the things that are going on in his palace. And the king's like, what, what do you mean? And so he locks him up in prison. John just can't keep his mouth shut around what it means to follow Jesus, around the idea of repentance. No matter who he's talking to, he's saying, like, listen, unless you repent, you're going to miss out on the kingdom that's coming. And so he tells this to the king. The king's like, what do you mean, unless I repent? The ki- I'm going to miss out on the kingdom. I am the king of the kingdom. He locks John up, and he's about to kill John. John's not quite aware of that, but John knows that the end of his life is coming. And this is, after all of this life of preparing a way for Jesus, we'd expect a hero's death or a hero's exit from this life, and yet John finds himself in a cell, and this is what it says. It says, John's disciples told him all these things, all these things being the things that Jesus was up to. Calling two of them, 
two of John's disciples, John sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of woman, there is no one greater than John, yet, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's ways were right, because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts of the law rejected God's purposes for them, because they had not been baptized by John. To what then can I compare the people of this generation, Jesus asked? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Let's pray and then we'll break this down. God, thank you that we... Um, have the opportunity to gather in this place this morning. God, we are expectant of um, what you're going to do in this place, and God, we're expectant of just hearing about your goodness and about who you are. God, may we just leave this place with, um, with a greater appreciation of who you are. May we leave this place with a greater understanding that you are in control. So God, God my words, I pray, and, and fill us with your presence as we sit in this place. And um, yeah, God, we're expectant. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. This story of John the Baptist has always captivated me. And it's captivated me because I often think about a man who has given his entire life's work to something only to find himself at the end of his life questioning whether or not what he has given his entire life to is actually worthy of the amount of time and energy and life and resource spent on that very thing. I think of just how kind of a helpless situation John must have been in and, and just kind of how, a, how much of a, an interesting place he would have found himself, the mental state, the emotional state, and the spiritual state of John in this place. And I often resonate with this story of John because I'm not at the end of my life, but there are these moments all throughout my life that I ask God, like, God, are you who you say you are? There's often moments in my life when bills are running high or relationships are running low and, and thin that I ask my God, God, are you who you say you are? Because the satisfaction that I've been expecting out of this life isn't quite the expectation that I, that I had of you and that I had out of this life. God, are you who you say that you are? God, are you the one? 
And I think this is a question that is on all of our hearts and all of our minds if we were to really get to the depths of the things that we wrestle with as humans as we're going, what is this life all about? And for those of us that trust in the name of Jesus, we will often come to this question in our own souls. Jesus, are you the one? Like, are you the one that I should be following? Are you the one that I should be, um, that I should be following after? Are you the one that I should be staking my entire life on? And I've had these moments with God where um, I'm just a passionate guy, and I'm, I'm at my heart and at my core, I'm, I'm a leader. And what I mean by that is it doesn't take too much to get me excited about something, and then I could become the greatest cheerleader for that thing. You know, Chick-fil-A got uh, started here in Kitchener not too long ago. And if you come to the office, I'll probably ask you, do you want to go to Chick-fil-A? And it's a way of me justifying another trip to this glorious restaurant, God's Restaurant, which is closed today because they respect God. But... Uh, so we can't go today. We'll go tomorrow, everybody, all right? But, uh, like, it doesn't matter what it is. I'll play a new sport. I'll, I'll see a new sport. Pickleball. Pickleball is all the rage right now. I haven't played it, but I think it's amazing. I watch all the, I'm like, this is a great sport. And I'm like, hey, do you play pickleball? You should go play pickleball. I will interrupt your life and tell you about the things that I think are good in this life. I will lead anybody anywhere because it's who I am. I just can't help but get excited about silly little things like yard lines on my lawn after I cut it or a good steak uh, cooked over a barbecue. I'll tell you about anything that I'm passionate about because it's what I'm passionate about, and I think that you should have good things in your life. And I'll have these conversations with God from time to time, and I'll ask him, like, God, it's funny, eh, how you'll ask God questions about himself, about what you should do, and I'll ask him, like, God, like, I don't want to lead people astray if you're not the one. Like, I don't want to be a fool that leads entire groups of people, entire families that sacrifice their time and their energy and their resources. Like, God, we just did a, a, a heart for the house last year that was, that, that, that was, that was about like a half a million dollars. Like, like, God, if this isn't real, I don't want to be doing this. Like, I, I don't want to lead people to give up vacations and stuff for your, for your glory. I don't want to lead people to give up the, one day a week for your glory if you're not there. Meanwhile, who am I talking to as I ask these questions? God himself. Like, God, if you're, if you're not there, please tell me what you're doing. And I think the reality is, is that in my openness about my position, I don't want you to lose confidence in who I am as a leader. I'm, I'm set on the foundation of Jesus Christ in my life. But can we be real about our plight as humans and the ways in which we interact with God? And can we be real in this moment with ourselves, not even just with one another, but with ourselves, so we might open up an opportunity for God to speak into our lives this morning and just allow ourselves to understand that this question might be the very question that is holding us back from allowing God to operate in that area of our life that we are expecting him to. God, are you the one? Jesus, are you the one we are expecting? You know, expectations are really interesting. John the Baptist had an expectation of Jesus. One of the reasons that John the Baptist is asking this question of Jesus is because John the Baptist expected a very different Jesus to come. And I ask you that question today. What Jesus are you expecting in your life? The expectation that, Jesus, that John had on Jesus was not the expectation that Jesus lived up to. Of course, we understand that there are four main people groups uh, spiritual groups and, and groups of Jewish men and women and sects of, of, of the Jewish um, faith that believe different things about the coming Messiah. The Messiah being the one that was going to come to save them from the plight that they found themselves in. While the Jews were released from captivity and slavery for a long time, they were still living in, under the oppression of the Roman Empire. 
And each of these four groups would have had different expectations of who Jesus was going to be. The Essenes believed that Jesus was going to come in as a spiritual figure, float in and, and be a mystical power amongst their midst, giving them spiritual freedom from the oppressors that were all around them. The uh, Pharisees believed that Jesus was going to be one that would come and cleanse their temple, make church a little bit better, and make it a little bit more like it should have been. They were like the reformers of our day, wanting to make sure that Jesus cleansed the church at all costs. The Sadducees, who were aligned very much with, with, uh, with politics, believed that Jesus was going to come and align himself and somehow manipulate the powers of Rome into and, and tilt, uh, tilt the powers of Rome into the favor of the Jewish people. And finally, we have the zealots. And the zealots, similar to Peter, Peter was a zealot before he decided to follow Jesus, before God called him, uh, Jesus called him to follow him. The zealots just believed that uh, Jesus was going to come in riding on a white horse, kill off all of the, the Roman Empire, and once again establish the Jews in a power, in, in a seat of power. Now, I, don't, I can't tell you for sure what John was expecting of Jesus. But what I can tell you this is that John had expected Jesus to not be who he was. And I wonder today, based on the ways that we all interact with our lives and, and, and the world around us and the faith in which we hold in Jesus or maybe the faith we want to have in Jesus, of whether or not Jesus might just be missing the mark of your expectations. Rather being a man that, that wielded power or one that aligned themselves with political figures or came in and killed those who were oppressing them so deeply, Jesus came as a humble, suffering servant. Not very powerful at all, not aligned with the political power, and not one who came in to destroy those who were oppressing those who needed him most. And John, at the end of his life, says, Jesus, are you the one? Because my expectations of my current reality is that you would be doing something different than what I'm expecting of you right now. And one person said that happiness is reality minus expectation. Happiness is reality Minus expectations. This is written in the top um, wealth and finance book that is out there today. You can go to Indigo, you can go to Amazon, pick up the number one best selling, it's going to be in there. And it says that happiness is reality minus expectations. This is, this is fine and good, except for this is a very Buddhist idea of, of the world. A Buddhist idea of reality is that if we just remove expectations from our lives and desire from our life, we will remove suffering. And by removing suffering, we'll actually live in the nirvana that we're all looking for. And why, by removing uh, desire and expectations, can we live in a nirvana? Because if we don't desire something, if we don't have missed expectations, we won't be walking around with frustration. We won't be walking around with things that will disappoint us. We won't walk around comparing what we have to the Joneses next door. And we'll be, we'll be able to live in somewhat of a sublime type of reality because we're not impacted by the things that are going on around us. The problem with this Buddhist reality is that there, it is impossible to rid yourself of expectation. Now, what the Bible cl clearly explains is not that happiness equals reality minus expectation, but that happiness equals reality with the addition of Jesus Christ. The reason being is because God knows that our expectations are jacked up. He knows that we are messed up as people. He knows that there is no way for us to rid ourselves of the desires in this world, but we can conform them to the ways of Jesus. My expectations are pretty messed up. As a human, I am like constantly wrestling with missed expectations and misordered desires. 
Um, we had a, 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 couple of, a couple of friends come over. Uh, they are a couple, and they are our friends, Tanner and Lily. Does anybody know Tanner and Lily? They're not here today. I just thought I'd mention that. Nice to see you not, uh, Tanner and Lily. They're, they're traveling right now. They're in British Columbia. They couldn't get back. They're visiting family. Totally okay. Not judging you guys at all. But they came over one day. And uh, one of the things I love about Tanner and Lily is they're no-nonsense people. If you've interacted with these guys, they get an idea in their head, they just, they just pursue it. Um, they're kind of, kind of an interesting couple, and, and we love them dearly. They came over to our place, and they're really simple people as well. What I mean by this is they came over, and often they'll ring us up and say, hey, we'd love to come over this week. We want to uh, cook dinner for you guys. We'll bring all the food. Uh, we just need to know the time to show up. And I, I love that because that's a no-nonsense kind of simple way to approach a meal. And uh, so they'll show up, and uh, the last time that they showed up, they showed up with this roast. And uh, this was like a nice, nice cut of meat. Sorry for all the vegans and vegetarians. Uh, I didn't eat it. Um, but anyway, <laughs> you're going to tell I'm lying because later on I tell you I eat it. But anyway, uh, they brought it, and, and uh, while we're eating it, like, we're just, like, kind of cutting it up. And, like, I didn't even need, you know the type of meat that you don't need a steak knife for, but you just got, like, like you can use your fork, and you're just, like, kind of, like, bringing it off. And you're just, like, oh, it was so brilliant. I was like, Emma, this is how we should cook our food from here on out. And Emma, of course, is offended. She's like, what do you mean? Like, I've been, like, our meal's not enough. And, and I'm like, no, 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 no. It's just like, this is brilliant. I said, Tanner, like, what did you do to this meat? He's like, honestly, I just like, like, kind of like shoved it into some salt and pepper and like turned it over, did it again and put it on the grill. And like, it was great. And I was like, okay, this is, uh, this, this is wonderful. The, the, I, I could cook this, right? And so I tell Emma, I was like, hey, we're, um, um, we're about to go, uh, uh, now, now my mother-in-law and father-in-law are leaving, and the story's about them, and uh, oh no, uh, this didn't go as well as I thought it was. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll get to the punchline here. So I'm like, Emma, we got to bring this meat to, with us, we got to do this on our next vacation. And so Emma's like, no problem. So she picks up this beautiful roast, we're at Salvo Beach, we're ready, it's Thursday night, this is the night we're going to have our roast. And I'm like, I'm so excited. I'm like, man, that, that was some of the best meat I've ever experienced. I'm so, like, I love this. And, uh, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I'm like, Emma, let's go. Um, this whole week that we've been on vacation, I've been struggling with COVID and, uh, or some other illness. I didn't actually test myself, sorry. But uh, I, I was, like, just struggling with something. And so Emma decides, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and cook this meat. And I'm like, I'm, like, salivating at the idea of dinner this night. Does anybody get into these ruts? You're just, like, like all day. My wife is like this. She'll be eating a meal and thinking about the next meal. She's like, man, this is so good. I can't wait to be eating. I'm like, just enjoy this meal, you know. And so I'm, like, thinking about this meal all day. And, and it gets cooked. And I'm thinking, Emma's going to rub that in, that salt and the pepper. It's going to be so simple be it so delicate and juicy and it's going to be beautiful and we sit down to eat and uh and 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 I begin to cut into this meat and and I'm kind of upset because I haven't spent as much time with the kids on this vacation I wanted to I've been sick the whole vacation I'm a little upset because I wanted to be the one to cut the and, and make this food and like impress everybody with my my Tanner and Lily skills like I'm I'm just like kind of disappointed coming to meal but expecting a good meal and I sit down, and I begin to cut into this meat, and I'm like, man, this is, I, I can't just use my fork. I need like a, I need like a, like a, like a motorized knife to get through this. I picked up my meat, and I was like, is this a rock, or is this, and I'm just like sitting there, and everybody's making all these great comments about the meal, and I'm like, I don't understand why everybody thinks this is good. 
I had the thought pass through my mind at one point. I'm like, this is the worst meat I've ever eaten in my life. And so they keep going on and on about how great it is. And I'm like, I just can't understand why these people are so, like, thrilled by this thing. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, now I went from, like, salivating to seething. I'm like, who would, I got to tell Emma that if this is the way life is going to go, we need to go to counseling or something. Like, this is, and I'm cutting through this meat, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And just, it's not that good, guys. And finally, Emma said, hey, babe, what do you think of the meat? It's really good, eh? Now I'm an honest man, because I'm a pastor. <laughs> and that's actually quite true about my personality, is, is I try to like be as honest and careful as possible, but in this moment, I think I, the, just the weight of being sick and not being able to be a part of this experience and then being disappointed in front of me and missing all these expectations, I go, honestly, like I don't mean to be rude, but this is like the driest piece of meat I've ever eaten in my entire life. And Emma looks at me like, well, thank you for that. (laughs) I'll remind myself that you're really appreciative next time I'm cooking for you. And everybody kind of looks at me with wide eyes, and I'm like, man, did I do something wrong? Later on, we're washing dishes, and Emma's like, hey, just just to give you a heads up, like, uh, uh, my dad was really generous and helped us cook the meat tonight. And in that moment, I just died. What happened? No, he's, he's the one that cooked the meat. I, he was really appreciative of your comment earlier. Now, Jay, we eat barbecues at his place all the time. He cooks mean barbecue. But, man, what missed expectations will do in our lives? I was just sitting there. Couldn't get my mind off, off the idea that my meat had been messed up, <laughs> that my vacation had been dismantled by this disease I've been fighting, <laughs> That somehow my inability to wake myself up and contribute on this, and I'm just, I'm upset, and and I take the time to walk through this very human experience that we all have, and these things that we'll sometimes say to miss expectations and say, what is your expectation of Jesus? I take all this time to say, like, what, what are you most disappointed in when it comes to your faith in God? What is it about Jesus that's just not making the mark for you? And could it just be that Jesus wants to show up in your life in a very different way than what you've been expecting all along? You see, on one hand, we expect him to take over the powers of the world, and yet he comes as a suffering servant. Why is that better? Because in a God that promises freedom to the poor, he didn't just go to the power to proclaim from a high position to the poor that he's with them. No, he came to earth to walk amongst the poor, to walk amongst the afflicted, to walk amongst those that were experiencing real life, to be with those that have been experiencing the oppression, to be a part of the oppressive, to be a part of all this, and to proclaim freedom for those that have been waiting for so long. Jesus didn't wait to reach the poor by somehow making some systematic effect from the top. No, he started at the bottom because that's where people needed him most. And what I can say in our lives today is that no matter what we're expecting of Jesus, he's better than our expectations. And for some of us, we need to stop getting Jesus to conform to our expectations, and we need to start aligning our expectations to Jesus. I can tell you this from walking with Jesus time after time after he didn't answer this prayer and he didn't seem to answer this prayer. And I'm wondering, God, where are you? I can tell you this. Is that Jesus is so much better than my limited understanding of what this life will bring me or what I think it should bring me or the satisfaction I think I could get from God and and, and when I expect it of God what I should be expecting. That's where the true magic of this faith happens. 
Some of you are going to be bothered that I put magic and faith in the same sentence. I'll, I'll, I won't say that in the next service. <laughs> I probably will. Jesus is the one that came as a suffering servant, a humble servant. One who understands that we're people, complex people with many different desires, but he came to bring our expectations into alignment with what he's actually up to in the world today. John the Baptist goes, Jesus, are you the one? And Jesus goes, blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. Listen, if you're wondering where God is in your life right now, just, just hold in there a little bit longer. He's up to something that you don't you don't, you don't realize what he's doing in the background. Just trust in the name of Jesus. If you're wondering where God is in your life today, just hang in there a little bit longer. He's likely working in a way in which you would never expect him to, to work. If you're wondering what God's up to in your life, don't expect him just to be there to simply fill you up as an individual, but maybe he's up to something in his kingdom that will be far greater than anything you ever expected. Jesus, are you the one? One of the things that has always confused me about this passage is, is Jesus says this about John. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. I always thought this is interesting, mainly from the perspective that John has given his entire life to preparing a way for Jesus, and then Jesus has the audacity to say this about John. And I've always asked Jesus' question as I've been reading this passage, what do you mean? Is this a, is this a, is this a backhanded compliment to John? Is this a, is this, what, what are you explaining? What is it that I don't understand about what you're saying to John um, in this? John has given his entire life to following you. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, God. I'm curious, Jesus. What is it that you're trying to say to John? And it's interesting because up until the time and the period of time that Jesus came, um, also Candace, did you just come up here twice? Is this your second time coming up? You forgot a microphone? I'm not losing it. I was like, either you came up here twice or I'm, I'm like, I am tripping out. Because uh, I was trying to ignore you the first time and then you weren't there and I was like, maybe I shouldn't be speaking. <laughs> uh, maybe there's something going on here that I, I should be off the stage. That was you, okay. All right, you got your microphone? That's probably a good thing. You know, what Jesus is pointing at here is that, is that John, John lived in the old era, pre-Jesus. And those of us in the kingdom, we're living in the era of the kingdom of Jesus. You know, so many of the Jews, they would have, they would have loved and, and in fact desired in their hearts that they would have leaders like Moses and Joshua and and uh, leaders like Samson to be alongside of them because these, these men of God, they, they showed real strength and courage in the midst of, of darkness, in the midst of powers. And, and you, can just, you can just imagine when Jesus shows up on the scene, like there's just a number of Jews that aren't interested because Jesus isn't Samson. He's not knocking down walls. He's not like, like taking out people with the jawbone of a donkey. He's not Moses who's like splitting Red Sea. He's like, man, this is a really unimpressive Messiah if that's who he is. And what Jesus is saying about John to all of these crowds is he's saying, listen, John's pretty great. He's not, he's not demeaning John. He's not saying like, yeah, John's pretty great, but let's talk about everybody else because they're way better than him. He's saying, listen, John's really great, but those on the other side of the area of my messianic rule, 
are much are in much greater of a position than John ever was. John came proclaiming what was to come. John was proclaiming what was coming in the future, but you, those least in the kingdom of God, now have the benefit on being the other side of what I've done and what I'm doing, and you get the benefit of living in the era of the redeemed. And by living in the era of redeemed, you don't just get to look forward and be like, hey, he's coming, he's gonna do something great. You get to look back on what I've done and already know that I'm great, that I'm doing great things, and that I have enough power for anybody who will trust in my name. So all of a sudden, this passage doesn't just talk about John like and, and, and wondering about, about, about what, where Jesus and where John stands with Jesus, but it's actually this proclamation that, hey, John was in good standing with Jesus, but those of us right here today, we have the benefit of looking back on the life of Jesus. Do, do you realize the, the, the era that we find ourselves in as Christians and as humans is that we get to walk into every present day with the past already lined out and with all the, the, the reality of what Jesus has done already in our lives. History existed for a lot longer before Jesus than it has since Jesus came. We live in such a beautiful reality where we don't have to guess what Jesus would be up to in our world today because we get to see what he was up to in the world today. We don't have to just trust that there's gonna be a select few that can come into the presence of God called priests and Levites that can somehow go into the temple and the Holy of Holies. But no, on the, after the era of Jesus Christ, we get the presence of God inside of us. Jesus up on the cross, we see that the temple, the curtain was torn in two and what is resembled and what is what is shown in that moment is all of a sudden the presence of God isn't, isn't just limited to a few people, but it's actually given to all of the saints who trust in Jesus' name. And Jesus is saying, John was blessed, but even those who are least in the kingdom of God. And he's not putting a hierarchy on those of us in the church. He's just saying for those of us that feel so lowly in God's presence, for those of us that feel like we have nothing to offer God, for those of us that feel like our lives are amounting to nothing, for those of us that believe that if we were to evaporate from this earth, nobody would notice, even for those of us that feel like nothing is happening in our lives, we are in a much better place than John because we have the retrospective uh, view that God has already come, he's already won, he's already unleashed his spirit on all of humanity, and we are able to live in a new reality because of Jesus Christ. So who's the one you're trusting today? Who's the one you're expecting? Who's the one you're trusting? And who is the one today you're looking for? Jesus, are you the one? So I love that at the end of John's life, What's on his mind is Jesus. On one hand, what we could look at when we're reading this passage is we can read this passage and we could go, man, it's too bad that at the end of John's life, he started questioning his faith in Jesus. On the other hand, what we could look at is that of all of the things that John could be worried about at the end of his life, the thing he was worried about was Jesus. See, John would be known as a great man of God. Jesus states it here. And not only does Jesus state it here, but what we also see from John is that we're constantly reflecting on him within scriptures. We're, we're constantly referring to the second Elijah. What I love about John is at the end of his life, he's not so concerned that everybody knows who he is, but he's concerned that he knows who Jesus is. 
He's not spending his last moments in, in Herod's palace and locked in prison and wondering whether or not God is, is or whether or not that somehow his name is going to be elevated or all the, the work that he's put into making Jesus famous is going to be known or whether or not he's going to be put in the history books or whether or not he's going to be known for all of his great feats and all of his great sacrifices and all the great things that he's going to do. No, this isn't what John is on John's mind. What's on John's mind is whether or not he knows who Jesus is. What's on John's mind is whether or not he's in step with Jesus. What's on John's mind is whether or not he has an accurate depiction of who Jesus is. John's greatest worry is not that he would be known, but that he would know who Jesus is. And I just wonder today that in our darkest moments, what's on our mind when, when, when we're going through our darkest moments? What's on our mind when we're going through our most difficult times in life? What is on our mind when it seems like the world is crashing around us? Are we relying on our own strength or on, on the things that people know about us or how somebody might perceive how we're walking through this? Are we solely focused and narrowly focused on making sure that we know who the one true God is? So what I love about John is he's saying, Jesus, are you the one? And Jesus' response back to John is, listen, no one else is coming, John. I'm the one you've been waiting for. So I think I forget in the midst of all of our Christianity that we do today, and I call Christianity in this context that I'm talking about right now, just all of the things we do as Christians that we think is Christianity that's not. And we, we get so puffed up on like, like I, the, the other day I had the thought, I'm like, man, we got to get our kids listening to um, Adventures in Odyssey. I was having a conversation with somebody about another like Christian tape. And if you don't know what Adventures in Odyssey are, essentially they're just like fictional stories um, over the, over the, like they're audio stories, um, audio books or audio stories that are told and the characters act all these things out and they're all Bible stories. And I'm like, I've got to get like, I've got to get the kids listening to Adventures in Odyssey, that, man. And then the second thought that came to my mind, this is how bad we are as, as, as people, right? This is how like, like puffed up we are on ourselves. I had that thought and the second thought was, no word of a lie, I'm like, I'm a good dad. And good dads think about like putting biblical stuff in front of their kids. I'm like, I don't think I'm a good dad very often. I am honestly, you can ask Emma, I'm, my biggest worry is that I'm not a good dad. But in that moment, I like took a step back and I'm like, because I thought about putting on Adventures in Odyssey while we drive in the van with our kids, I walked away and I went, I'm a good dad. Hey, what are the things about our faith that we think we're doing such a good job in? What, what are the things that we think, what are those things that we're putting our hopes in that aren't Jesus that we think, man, I'm drawing so much satisfaction from this right now in my life. And I just wanna ask you, like, what are you trusting in your life right now as a savior to what's going on in your current context that Jesus has actually come to replace? Because here's what I can say. All of the different therapists in the world, all the different health self-help books in the world, all the different encounters we can have in this world, all the different experiences we can have in this world, all of the different things that we can put our trust in in this world, what I can tell you is no one else is coming that we could have the kind of hope that we have in Jesus Christ. There is no one else that we can put our trust in that is going to give us the satisfaction that we want. There's no one else that we can put our trust in that will have the longevity in our life that we want to have. There's nobody that we can put our trust in that that is going to be greater than Jesus. Jesus is the one that came to provide that we all that we actually want and all of that deepest longing in us that can actually be met in Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. 
You know, in this series that we're going to go through, we're going to talk about our response to the goodness of Jesus before we ever get there, before we even encourage ourselves to go out and shine our light in this world that we live in. The biggest thing each of us need to take stock of in our lives is where do I stand with Jesus? And is it enough that Jesus stands with me? Because for a lot of us in this room, it's Jesus and that one sport that we're so addicted to. Jesus and that promotion I'm going after. Jesus and those so, social thing, those social um, accomplishments that I so deeply care about. Jesus and my kids liking me. Jesus and, and that's where we derive our status. Is Jesus enough in your life? And is Jesus the thing that you're focused on in your darkest time of life? Can we stand up in this place? confide and sad on a, on a kickoff Sunday with a cool series that has so much great stuff coming out of it. I had this thought. And I actually kind of prayed it in my heart to God before I even spoke this message. I said, God, like, I don't know. Are people going to be, are people going to be interested enough in just a message proclaiming how great you are over and over again? It made me sad because I think I think that shows something about myself and then I think it shows something about the state of Christianity in the West right now. Is that we're not satisfied with just Jesus alone. We want Jesus and a whole bunch of other things. We want Jesus and cool quotes. We want Jesus and new ways of looking at him. We want Jesus and, 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 and the question today is, no, is Jesus enough in your life? Let me head bowed and I closed in this place. I wonder if you're here today and you've never made a a decision to follow Jesus. The whole gospel rests on the fact that in the beginning, humans created such a chasm between us and God through sin that Jesus was the only one that could bring us back in relationship with him. So Jesus pays a sinner's death on the cross so that those who are sinners can trust in it and be brought back in relationship with God. That is the simplicity and the foolishness of the gospel. Jesus said it's, it's this foolishness that some people think it's so simple that can't be the, that that's the reason they'll miss out on it. But honestly, that's as simple as it is, is that Jesus came and paid a price that we couldn't pay in our own strength. So then we had bad and eyes closed. If you've never made a decision in your heart to follow Jesus, to have him as the compass of your life, the direction you're, you're running in the the one that you give your life over to. If, you, if you've never made a decision to allow Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord, the one that, that, that has authority in your life, and you're going, today, I, I need something more than the things I've been trusting in. If that's you today, with every head bowed and eye closed, I'm not gonna point anybody out, but I wanna know who I could pray for, just include in a prayer at the end of our service here. If that's you, could you just raise a hand? Just go, hey, today, I, you know what? I actually do wanna make a decision to follow Jesus. I, I don't want another day to go by without this being my reality in my life. Amen. Amen. Come on, church, can we pray? Jesus, we thank you for every, everyone making this decision to follow you in this place. God, we trust in what you're doing. 
And we trust, God, that you're on the move in ways that we couldn't, couldn't be on the move in our own power. God, right now, I pray for those making a decision that they would understand that your Holy Spirit comes and you comfort us. And while our lives might, might not change, that God, you actually have the ability to, to walk with us through whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. God, may they have purpose and meaning in their life from this moment forward. God, may, may there be a different trajectory and, and emphasis in their lives because of their trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, can we celebrate those who are making a decision this morning to follow Jesus? And finally, I, I just want to ask this question to those of you who have already made a decision to follow Jesus. It's easy to say, hey, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior, which is to say he saved us, but he's also the one with authority over us, Lord and Savior. And maybe today it's actually that you've been looking for satisfaction outside of that. Here's what I know, similar to the life of John, that at the, end of our li- at the end of our lives, nothing else will matter except for Jesus. And no one else is coming to satisfy your soul in the way that Jesus can. If you're here today, and we're just gonna bow our heads and close our eyes, and the band's gonna lead us in a final song here. But if that's you, and you're just sitting here, and you're just going, you know what? It's been Jesus plus something else in my life recently. And I'm not saying Jesus doesn't want us to have nice things or good things. I'm just saying that our satisfaction must not come from these things, except for Jesus alone. If that's you today and you're just going, you know what, I need to get back to the, to the simplicity of trusting in Jesus, getting real quicker with where I'm at with him. If that's you, can you just raise a hand? Yeah, all across this room. if we allow this reality to permeate our lives, if if those of us that have our hands raised, which is the majority of the room right now, allow this this reality to actually permeate our souls, that would not only make a difference on our lives, but it would make a difference on our neighbors' lives and the lives of the people in this region. Can we just begin to pray? Jesus, this morning we come, and for all of the distractions in our lives that led us to this point, For some of us, even there's just the distractions of this environment. God, we come and we lay our lives at your feet and we say, God, you are enough. God, you are the one I've been searching for. And Jesus, may you be enough in our lives. Jesus, I pray that you would have your way in our lives this morning. Jesus, I pray that there would be a remarkable difference in our lives this week as we surrender to you, our Lord and Savior. Jesus, I pray for that little voice inside of us that sometimes wonder, Jesus, are you who you say that you are? God, I pray that you would silence it by your works and wonders in our lives. That God, you would silence it by the, by the proclamation of who you are. God, I pray that our expectations would not just be, um, not just not met, but God, may they be exceeded in Jesus' name. God, may you work in our lives in such a special way, we pray. And Jesus, as we admit right now that we are in great need of you, God, we pray that you would capture our hearts and our minds and our attention and our energies, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. 
And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.